Liveline on RT Radio 1 with the all-new Kia Sportage, built for endless inspiration. The all-new Sportage, now at your local Kia dealer. 0818 715 815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. Joe at rt.ie and 51551 is a text number. Ruth Maxwell. Ruth, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, first of all, I'm sorry what you uh, went through, um, but I think there are a lot of uh, lessons to be learned uh, from the aftermath of the uh, sexual attack on you in 2016. Uh, do, you, do you want to begin, Ruth, it's up to you. do you want to begin just in the briefest detail, if you wish, to, to, to tell us what happened? Yeah, but I'd, I have to just say there, Joe, that out of the five women, I was the only one that wasn't sexually attacked. Okay. I, I was physically, yeah, yeah, I wasn't sexually he, assaulted he, during he, it. He didn't get you into the van, basically. No, no, he, yeah. you know, he just couldn't get me down on the ground or anything yeah. either. Um, but, you know, I was just on my way to work going about my own business. And the the one place where you do consider, you know, mm-hmm. to, I don't know how to explain it, you know, you're just on your way to work, you're pottering about your own business. You don't expect the streets to be unsafe. You yeah. just don't. And... You know, people do kind of forget about the random attacks. Now, I say random because it's random in the life of the victim. They're totally caught off guard. Your life is. And I I do understand they're they're considered less serious than, you know, domestic violence and stuff. But there can be a lot more physical injuries and, you know, ultimately very fatal in an instant. And, you know, sometimes we're the forgotten victims. And, you know, it's when something like this happens that, you know, victims who possibly have survived incidents like this, you know, they should be listened to. And, you know, I spent so much time giving out about the fact that there's no support for services. I've received nothing now at this stage. There's nothing for my hand, no mm-hmm. psychological supports. And the HSE had said it wasn't financially viable for them to consider giving me any psychological supports. Like if you're to help victims, you have to set up, you know, rehabilitation programs, reintegration yeah. programs for victims back into society, just like you do for offenders. Can't be expected to just all of a sudden after a trial get on with their lives again. Like I, my life has changed completely. I mean, I can't manage a lot of things anymore physically. And then psychologically, I mean, as Helen McEntee had said, it was a woman's worst nightmare for something like Mm -hmm. that to happen. But as a woman who survived something like that, you're in another nightmare where you're trying to to reintegrate yourself back into society with as minimal amount of fear as you can, because you're literally controlled by fear then. Like, I micromanage my movements every single day, Mm -hmm. every single day. You know, like I I do go out running again and I love going running and I would never hold keys in my hand or anything like that. I need my hands free. But I did. I was gifted a, a run angel, which is a little bracelet with 120 decibels and connected to an app and tracked your location mm-hmm. and all. They're manufactured in Ireland and I did use that for a while. But then I said to myself, no, I need to be able to, to still wear my headphones and 
not have that fear, although I do, you know, observe absolutely everything in yeah. my surroundings all the time. But I'm not going to to sit and wait for something to happen to me. I'll do everything that I can in my power to help me feel safe and confident because I have to go a lot further than everybody else because of what's happened to me. And I don't think anybody could ever, ever understand the depths of that. But the, the worst part of that for me is that I don't have supports and I don't have services. And I am very, very angry with the Department of Justice over that. Very angry because I wouldn't allow that kind of behaviour for my child or for any other victim mm. if I could help it, you know. Um, and and you were, as you say, this man had sexually assaulted a number of women previously. In your case, it was what coming up to seven a.m. in the morning. You were walking to work, and he, he he tried to abduct you, basically, and put you into this van. But he he was using a hunting knife, and that's what seriously damaged your hand as you tried to get away from him. Yeah, he had the hunting knife in his right hand and it was on my chin and he had a dirty cloth in his left hand. But I had my left hand carrying my handbag on my shoulder. So my fingers were tucked in on my shoulder and I was fighting off the the cloth Mm -hmm. with my elbow. And he was trying to pull me back. But the minute the knife went from my chin down to my throat, I just knew, well, here I'm I'm Mm -hmm. in a life or death situation here for myself and I'm I'm one of those lucky ones that I didn't freeze you know I had about no. two seconds where I had nearly my whole life flash in front of me and I just thought no just this this can't happen to me you know and I just had to pull my my hand out from under my handbag which I was lucky it was up there on my shoulder because that's the hand that I was able to put around the blade and pull it from yeah. my my throat. But yeah, I knew that I was going to, to do some serious damage to, to my hand. And yeah, my hand never never really recovered after that. They did repair the tendons. You know, mm-hmm. there was two surgeries on my fingers. But I mean, if, if you knew me as a person, you know, like my hair goes up. I'm very minimal. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. really wear jewellery, button clothes. I'm trying to avoid jeans and belts and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, when it comes to getting dressed, like I, you know, I do have kind of at this stage a sense of humour in it, you know. Um, I was putting on one day at home my runners and I put the the laces on the outside and on the inside on the ground and I slip my foot in and then I just tie my laces. Everything's strategically done with yeah. my hand. And I was so delighted I got my runners tied just perfectly. And I was like, oh, that's going to be a good start to the day. But sure, and I'd forgotten to put my trousers on. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, one day you think you're off to a good yeah, start sure. and you've forgotten yeah. something else. So, you know, th- these are little things that I, I would have been reduced to tears before. Yeah. Like, there are times that it's really, really difficult. But I do keep a lot of that to myself. But I'd be very, very angry that, you know... I have no psychological supports where I can mm-hmm. sit and discuss these things on how to make my life easier for me. And the whole physical side, like I'm down in County Sligo now, so there's no way I'd be going to, to Dublin for any hand mm-hmm. appointments. But, you know, at this stage, I'd I'd like to head over to Galway. I know there's a hand unit over there that they're very, very good. I had mm-hmm. somebody do my facials and soffits a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. he had severed tendons. 
And he said he's getting nerve block injections into his arm and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my God. I said, I have nothing like that. I said, mine keeps me awake like during the night. I said, oh, but God. the pain is phenomenal. He said, yeah. He said, no, you can get all these injections. And I thought, here we go again. No supports or services. And, you know, this is coming up on six years now. Yeah, six was, years where uh, I've nonstop asked, just nonstop. And it was May 2016, and uh, critically, uh, one, you were able to, as you say, you were able to, um, you grabbed the knife that cut the tendons in your in your hand. Um, he tried to drag you into a van where he had duct tape and cable ties, but you managed to escape and, and you, you began screaming and he ran off. But you you were pivotal in, in uh, catching this uh, sexual attacker um, and he had a, an awful reign of terror. He got 18 years. But uh, you managed to, to get a description of his van. Now, tell us what happened um, you're very critical of the Department of Justice, but begin with the counselling. Why did the HSE refuse you counselling? Well, initially, when I left the hospital, I mean, I was brought to hospital that morning. Um, I went by ambulance and the detectives would have come in. Um, the doctor would have looked at my hand and patched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cleaned it and wrapped it up and made an appointment for James's for the next day because they obviously wouldn't deal with anything yeah. like that in Tala. And um, I got a phone call then that afternoon from Tala Hospital, the social work department, saying that um, they had missed me, that they were to come down and see me. Okay. And that's when I said, OK, I said, your services must be nine to five. I said, because I was out by about a quarter to nine. And I think that's the way it was. But I spoke to them a couple of times on the telephone, a lovely woman called Sarah, and she had said to me that, you know, you're going to feel like this over the next month. And then mm-hmm. she said, you, if you're still feeling the way you're feeling, like she was going through literally a checklist of everything I would feel. And I was delighted because I knew what would be ahead then. I mean, you just, you could just jump at anything. I still jump at things, but I mean, mm-hmm. just... She said, it's like electric shocks going through your body. You you just adjust to it. So she said, after the first month, if you're still feeling like that, get back in touch and, you know, we'll we'll take it further with mm. sessions. And I said, that's fine. So after that month, I got back in touch and no answer, nothing. Um, sent emails, voicemails, nothing. And then I was at my GP one day and she said, are you getting counselling? Yeah. I said, no. I said, I've sent loads of emails and this, that and the other. I said, nothing. And uh, she said, oh, she said, and a very serious GP, I was delighted. She um, said, I'm going to call them here. So she called them in front of me and she turned around and she said, "Uh, they said they've received no correspondence whatsoever from you. And I showed her my phone, I showed her everything. And she said, no, no. And she said, this woman has records of everything here. She said, no. And they said, oh, well, it must have been somebody else that she was dealing with that doesn't work in the department anymore. But anyway, it's not financially viable for us to give her counselling the HSE and I could appeal it if I wanted to my GP said do you want to appeal it I said yes of course I do because Mm. I thought that was totally unacceptable there was no way I was going to let something like that go so there were seven sessions and that was way back then and that was it and they did advise you know after the trial in 2018 to to get extra counselling and stuff like that but there was nothing available so I'd lost everything everything on disability then, sure couldn't work and 
you know, how, how was I supposed to do that? Yeah. I was the only woman out of all of the women who wasn't sexually assaulted, so I wasn't entitled then to, to specific counselling at all. And what was the criminal process like, Ruth? Being a Horrific. It was so lonely. And the one thing I always remember was how painful those benches are to sit on in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I mean... We were sitting on coats because it was such a long trial. I mean, it did go on for three weeks, but with legal challenges, it was almost three months. But, yeah, it was harrowing just watching him and, you know, trying to adjust to the legal jargon. That was difficult, too. But also, you're only a witness at that stage. Like, the mm-hmm. the case is more important than you are. You know, you're at that stage, you're you're taking a back seat completely. And... The minute it's all over, it's like, OK, thanks very much. Off you go and get back into your lives. And were you given any guidance beforehand or support during or after? No, there was the court support services. And I remember being up looking at them mm. and talking to a particular person. But that, that just wasn't working for me at all in the slightest. And I don't want to go into why or anything. But that, that just wasn't going to work for me. So I just made the decision to go on my own each day. And like mm. I was staying over with my daughter in Dublin and sleeping on a little camp bed and stuff. And I remember every night, Alton Conlon, the musician, he's a lovely, lovely guy. I mean, he'd check in on me each night and say, how's court today? And are you doing mm-hmm. all right? And so I did have people who checked in on me. And I mean, Liam Whaley was a great support as well. And Fiona O'Brien still is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be listening to, it's through music that, that I yeah. really was helped an awful lot. And through going out running and being in nature, because there was nothing else I could do. There was nothing else for me. There was no one. And was your voice heard during the trial? Well, I kind of just sat back and observed it. Like, I do observe things. I mean, mm. even with this case, with the awful death of Ashley Murphy, I mean, I'd, I tend to sit back and see how people are reacting and what they mm. say and what they promise. And then I might speak. But I am much more of an observ- observationalist. And why do you feel so badly let down, as you say, by the Department? You've, you've detailed the HSE, but by, by the Department of Justice? Um, well, because there were other processes that I had to go through with the Department of Justice that I just felt were, you know, not very trauma-friendly for victims in the slightest. And mm. I can't discuss any of that just okay. yet. That'll be another while before I can discuss okay. that. But, I mean... But I don't. I, I, I don't know whether you're familiar with the Sarah Grace case. Um, yes. Sarah was yeah. attacked in 2019 um, in her home, and she slept. She was sleeping in in bed. She was sexually assaulted. But one of the things she uh, revealed about a year ago was that um, she went for therapy because of the stress, as, as you've outlined. But that the defence, the assailant, he was found guilty, the assailant's defence could access the notes from those therapy sessions. Yeah, yeah. Which is just mind-boggling. Yeah, I had a friend who had told me about that during my trial and he had said to me, he said, you do not have to hand over your notes unless the judge requests them. So even if the defence team asks, you can refuse, but it's up to, you know, the judge... So, but like, it can, certain, yeah, it can, anyway, it can it's be. It's horrific. Yeah, yeah. 
Like, it's like the victim impact statement. And I mean, it's it was absolutely a privilege to be able to do that. And, mm. you know, that's all because of Lavinia Kerwick. And I mean, I absolutely adore Lavinia. Yeah. You know, she gave us so much. Yeah. But you really are putting your mental and emotional side out there with mm. the victim impact statement. You really are. And for me, it's, it was kind of a bit of a, okay, well, I, I didn't want to be putting everything about myself out there, but yet it does influence the judge with the sentencing. So, you know, you have to really think about how you're going to go about it. And it would have been lovely to have some psychological support doing that, because to me, that was a massive, massive thing to do, the victim impact statement. And I know with my attacker, with one of the cases, that one of the women didn't even give a victim impact statement. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's, anyway, let let your voice be heard and let people make their own their own judgments, Ruth. There's no point in me um, trying to reinforce or indeed uh, reiterate things that you're saying so powerfully. Stay with us, Ruth, if you can. Uh, Karen, yeah, Karen Bishop. Karen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, you say, I hope the Minister for Justice sticks to her word and it isn't an empty promise about zero tolerance. So tolerance. Women need action, not words. Now, this has uh, a resonance for you, which is extraordinarily uh, close and emotional because um, your uh, sister uh, was murdered by a man in 1991. Now, the, the issues, why do you say that I hope the Minister sticks to her word? What needs to be done? Like her, her words were protection, protection, prevention, prosecution, and policy coordination. Mm-hmm. So the first two words are very important, like protection and prevention. Like we need, like because being a victim of murder, like we've been given so many false promises over the years by the Department of Justice and everything else. So for a female minister for justice to come out and say these words. And they're powerful words. Mm-hmm. So we need her to state these words and act on them because we've been let down too many times. So these are powerful words and we hope that she acts on them. Like the women of Ireland, we need protection and we need prevention. How do you feel your family has been let down, Karen, after Jill's murder? Well, like, you know, I know it was back in 1991, like it was nearly 31 mm. years ago, but we always seemed to have to fight for everything. Like nothing was, there was no support there for us. Like, you know, we had to go look for it. And then when the perpetrator was released after serving his time, like he was protected under data protection. We got no photograph for him. You know, we were let down then. And it was only by the Sunday World newspaper that actually came out with a photograph yeah. for him. Explain, explain, pro- Karen, explain that to people because, it, again, somebody, you were saying this man was obviously caught, he was found guilty, but he was sent to prison for a long time and all the family wanted to know was what does he look like now in case we are in the same area or whatever? Yeah. And, and, and like, what was the response when you, when you asked for that? We got quoted the Data Protection Act and then when we raised our concerns with the the guardie and the prison services, they came back and told us, well, if you see him in Bray, let us know. But how would you you recognise him after so many years? Precisely, Joe. And that's what we're kind of saying. You're not listening to to us because, like, my parents now have have grandchildren. Like, they were growing up. There's two girls and a boy. Like, you know, and for my own safety, going in and out of work, like, you know, I could be sitting beside him on the loose and I wouldn't know. We all change. But, like, the perpetrator, 
was continuously protected. But like he would know what we would look like. Yeah. You know, and we've done we've done nothing wrong. But yet his identity was protected all along. Only that the Sunday world actually got a picture of him and it turned out then that he had been harassing another eighteen year old girl mm-hmm. and only that her friend saw the paper in the Sunday world and went, Oh my god, that's the guy that's been harassing you. Ah, so like she yeah. could have been another victim. Only that you and know, he was, nobody a, he was out on parole at that stage, obviously. Yeah, he now. served his year, 26 years, oh, okay. and nearly a year to date, he was uh, put back okay. in for this crime again. So he he learned absolutely nothing. Within a year, he was back in, and that's because somebody recognised his current photograph, which you were told yeah. you could not have under GDPR, but yeah. one of the, the Sunday World uh, got a photograph of him, and uh, somebody recognised this is the guy today that is uh, stalking and harassing an, another 18-year-old. Yeah. You know, so what did prison... <laughs> he learned absolutely nothing in prison. Like, it was kind yeah. of like a year to... If you want to call it his anniversary of his release date, and he reoffended, and another 18-year-old girl. Like, we have to do something to protect the, the women and, yeah. like, everybody. You know, like, I constantly live in fear, even though it's 31 years ago. You know, it's just... Yeah. There's no day that you kind of go, like, you feel safe. Every day is a day that you're in fear of, like, something's going to happen. So he was taken back into prison because even when you when you commit murder, you're, you're out on licence, as they yeah. say, and he was taken back into prison because he'd broken that trust again. And, um, like, were you told the first time of his release and will you be told if he's being released shortly well, like, or whatever? The thing about his release, again, like, my, my father got a text message from the the prison services to say um, the perpetrator will be released from prison the next day if you want. Yeah, it was the next day. So, like, we actually hadn't got a member of Vanguard Shia come up to our family home and inform us face-to-face. We got it by text message. So, like, mm. there's a huge fault in, like, the services provided. You know, like, it's not like if you're going to meet somebody for coffee, this was the man that killed your daughter, and you get a text message to say that he's going to be out the next day. Yeah. You know, that was... That's another way how we feel that we've been, we were let down. You know, you have to communicate with families of, of murder victims. You know, they no, can't be forgotten there, about. There are changes in hand. It's come up many times on this program. Yeah, like things have progressed, yeah. which, is, which is good to see. But like, you know, we're kind of, in a lot of cases, people kind of learn from what we went through, that they kind of improved. Like we have the other advocates and things like that that have been mm. set up. But like, you know, you can't forget the people. Like, you know, it's important that they're still remembered. It's like yeah. you're having a reactive Roots. government that's been forced to become proactive. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like, you shouldn't, it's just, it, it's bad. The government, like, let down the, the people. Like, you know, we've all been traumatised. We've been through so much. Why do we have to fight for simple little things that are going to, you know, help us in our, in our mm. grief or in anything? Like, you know, th- those services should be available from day one. We shouldn't have to go look for them. You know, yeah. like... Yeah. It is like you have been let down big time by the, the government and the department. You know, it's just the perpetrator, as far as I'm concerned, is always protected. The victim has to fight for everything. That says an awful There's lot. always been a le- yeah. an element of offender bias. It's been like that since the very beginning. You know, yeah. sometimes in cases like that, when the high-risk offenders are released, they should, maybe for a period of time, have to have electronic tagging, so yeah. at least they're monitored. Simplest, you know, yeah. simplest thing in the world in this day yeah. and age. Simplest. Yeah. Ru- yeah. Ruth, you you mentioned your daughter at one stage, and and oh yeah. 
but surely you you would encourage a, against ham-fistedly worded. You would encourage if anything happened to another woman, you would encourage them to go to the police, and you wouldn't, even though it's an awful experience. And as I say, you're you're treated almost as as an observer rather than the victim. I'll tell you what way I do it now, Joe. Knowing what I know now, okay. the minister detective came to me at the hospital, mm-hmm. um, being read my rights. Um, I would have turned around and said, I'm sorry, I'm not even giving a statement about what has happened to me until I know that you are capable with the Department of Justice of providing a rapid trauma response team with mm-hmm. full psychological and physical support for me based on my individual needs for as long as I need that. And I'd like legal representation as well. And if none of that was in place, mm-hmm. I'd stand my ground. Because that's, you know, that's a moral issue. Just you do the right thing. Just, I, I just, I don't understand why you're you're not as important as as a perpetrator. I don't understand that. You know, there is the simple thing with the budget where the government, I felt, had valued greyhound racing as a monetary priority over victims. Yeah. And there should have been a lot more funding there. You know, why can't we have psychological rep- um, support? Yeah. Why can't we have rehabilitation programmes for reintegration back into society? Because if you don't help fix victims, well, then victims can still create an environment where perpetrators can grow as well. There's so many broken victims out there, you know, mm-hmm. that it just makes so much sense because they say as well, well, perpetrators are victims as well of trauma and so on. Well, then it just makes sense. And at, in the court case, did you meet any of any of the other victims of Slavomir Gidlowski was his name, he was living here for yes, a Yes, I did. Yeah. And they were so dignified. They were yeah. just lovely women, lovely women. And their families were adorable as well. And that's part of why I fight the way I do. It's yeah. because of them and also my own daughter, you know. And when it comes then to the, the parole hearing, like I know the appeal hearing and my case on one section of it I heard through the media and I wasn't happy about that because I thought if that was my daughter and she heard the outcome of mm. an appeal through through the media instead of through the, the courts. And were you, I for, obviously an appeal would take place later, but were you asked to update your victim statement, victim impact statement? No, no, nothing, nothing. Now that obviously comes around when it comes to the parole hearing under the new parole mm. act. Yeah, yeah. But then... Obviously, like the age of my attacker and the age of me, like I'm 50 this year, like he, his due date presently is 2037. Now, if I died before he's released mm-hmm. and then he's up for parole, my whole case dies with, with me. So my family would not okay. get a voice at that parole hearing even, to say, even well, okay, what d- happened to her affected yeah. us. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing there for that. And my, my children certainly would like a voice if if anything happened to me and, you know, it's something that they should demand. Yeah. OK, OK. And, and all of this is in, is in the uh, the shadow of what happened, Ashling um, Morphy. Yeah, there's uh, so much. There's so much broken and so much wrong. Okay. And if the government had have been proactive for God knows how many years, this would be very different instead of just being 
reactive to everything. And it was the greyhound racing thing in the budget that just got me. I thought all of these organisations are screaming out for support, funding, waiting lists for mm-hmm. over a year. And to me, I just thought that that was that's I, I kind of that's just sick in my eyes. You know, to think that my life is not worth any more than than a greyhound. I love animals, don't get me wrong. I know. That, I but, but Ruth, you know, how, your, your hand now, What? where are you attending? Nowhere. Nowhere, OK. Nothing. Like there was talk at one stage of another surgery because there's some pulleys gone. Your fingers are very delicate. Um, mm. Your tendons are like elastic bands and they go through the little joints and little round things which are called um, pulleys and things like that. And... Like I did say after that last surgery, which was the day of sentencing, that I'd I'd never have another surgery. It was just all it's all so hard mm. when it comes to, to having all that. And I thought, okay, the build up of scar tissue um make it more difficult and stuff. But, you know, I would like to know that every single thing possible would have been tried with my hand to get some kind of movement. You know, I had to learn how to do buttons, how to yeah. write. I can't even write properly. I can't hold small things in my hand. I mean, cooking in the kitchen, like my grandkids help me when they're over. Like, it, oh, I, I just don't know. I, okay. I, I just don't understand any of it. I really don't. You know, when you survive something like this, you're just going, why? Why, why, why do you treat people like this? And come out with all the spin, oh, there's so much more to do and we'll, we'll wait for this strategy now that comes at the end of the month. This is the, the political establishment that is running this country. People expect proper services, proper supports, proper programmes in place. And we shouldn't be here on the radio. I shouldn't have even had to waive my anonymity. Like you're, you're listening to people whose families, children, daughters, sisters, murdered. And that's what I mean when I say we've a reactive government being forced to become proactive, being forced. And yet, yeah, there is hope because in light of what's happened, hopefully change will come on this now. And you, you, you are, you still have a voice and... Um it's very important that it's heard. Ruth, kind regards to you and your and your daughter. Um, and thank you for that contribution. Karen, uh, condolences you. again to you and your family. Thanks, Ruth, to you and your family, Karen, on the death, the, the murder of Jill. She was a very, very uh, young woman. She was 18 years of age. Um, and uh, that story... Oh, Karen, I'm to... so, so sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. But together, we'll, we'll continue to... To fight. I know, I know. It's it's not easy. It really isn't easy, but we all stick together and we help each other through it. And there's some really good people out there who are trying to change things. You just have to find them, but they are you, there. They are there, but like you know, you do have to find them. But you know, in our situ- in our case, we we won't let Jill's name be forgotten. We will we will keep fighting in her in her memory. Which is Absolutely. very important, very important to us and to all the other women in Ireland that have lost their lives through through murder. We will keep fighting for justice for them. Yeah, uh, 
for Jill and for Ashling and the many other women as well. Uh, thanks indeed, yeah. Karen Bishop, and thanks indeed, Ruth uh, Maxwell. Live line on RTE Radio One with Kia. Discover our two to one offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to Kia.com. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RT.ie and one is the text number. As you know, the um, the teacher unions, the INTO, ASTI, FORSA and the TUI have asked the students and teachers in schools across the state uh, fall silent tomorrow at 11 o'clock. A minute silence in memory of Ashling, who was obviously a member of the education community. Um, in the statement, they said, we are encouraging schools to fall silent to remember a beloved primary school teacher taken far too soon and show her solidarity with her friends, families, colleagues and pupils as Ashling is laid to rest. Now, we don't know what the Department of Education's position is or if they need to have a position on this. Obviously, people are deeply, deeply uh, upset. That's why we've had nearly four days of national mourning at this stage. Uh, for for Ashling and her family, uh, Leanne Porcel. Leanne, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. And I I do understand. I thank you for contacting us as every every I do everybody I hope. But I think it's a it's a it's a very difficult one for for to 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 argue. But you want you want to state your position and that of your your daughter is eight. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. First of all, Joe. I suppose I just want to extend. Of course. Uh, my sincere sympathies to the family and loved ones of Ashley Murphy, and I suppose my admiration for the ladies that were on before me, and yeah. complete, I, you know, I, I sympathise with them and all they've been through. Yeah. I suppose I'm very concerned as a parent, uh, and that's how I'm calling today uh, with regard to tomorrow. I have a little girl who's eight, uh, who's in primary school, and um, I'm just concerned that when the minute silence happens, that she'll find out about this horrific tragedy. Um, I suppose myself, my husband, my family. We're mm-hmm. praying for Ashling and her family and everybody affected by this. We're doing what we can. We have chosen not to tell our daughter about this because it's mm-hmm. horrific. Um, and uh, our 12-year-old son became aware of it, you know, and he, yeah. we've had a discussion. And his first question was, you know, um, am I safe? And uh, I just i am very concerned that this will become a topic of conversation tomorrow in schools. I, I don't see... Um, I just, I, I would rather be there with my child when she finds out uh, something like this. And I'd rather that it wasn't left to a teacher to try and explain it to a lot of children. And I suppose there's other concerns that there may be other children who are very upset and triggered by it. I just mm-hmm. think it's it's a beautiful idea, but I'm really worried about it. And what will you say to your daughter before going to school tomorrow? Oh, she won't be going if it's going ahead. Uh, you know, I've t- I've taken that decision Um, I just think the playground everywhere. Look, I may not succeed with uh, her Mm -hmm. not finding out about it, but life, you know, childhood is so precious and I think this will be a moment that she'd never forget if she found out. My child idolises her teacher. She loves school. She identifies with it. So I I just think it'd be hugely traumatic for her. And if I can avoid it, it may only be for a week, but if I can avoid it, I will. Mm -hmm. And is is there any... I just wonder, is there any way a teacher could, and I, I'm very conscious how young, um, some of them are just beyond being babies in one sense mm. in school, um, but could a teacher explain it in a, in a different way that we're, we're just stopping for a minute to think of all the 
difficulties in the world or whatever and just have a little minute silence and I think that that would be wonderful and I've, I've reached out to the principal who's fantastic and I'm sure he'll come back to me um, and I think that they all have their own little troubles and losses and mm. absolutely they'd understand that but I do think the dialogue will start at the top of the school I, you know the older classes and I think it's a very significant thing that the whole school will stop at 11 o'clock um, and I just would be very concerned about the dialogue for the day Um so I, while I think it's worthwhile, I think we can all commit to remembering Ashling and, and, and people who've, who've mm. died. Uh, but I, you know, I just think if at all possible, that maybe could be managed at home. And I don't think uh, the family of Ashling and her friends and Ryan, her partner, I don't think any of them were in any doubt of the outpouring of feeling, not just in this country, but worldwide, that the horror Absolutely. of what happened, what happened to Ashling. Um, Absolutely, and rightly so. Yeah. You know, the support has to be there. I'm not questioning it. And was I'm when, when you, yeah, I'm sorry for Connor, but when you mm. spoke to the principal, was he or she aware that this was happening tomorrow? So I, I haven't had uh, contact yet. I sent an email, but he's very respons- responsive. Yeah, okay. um, so I, I, I'm not sure. I just, I, I really got very worried the minute I heard this. Because I spoke to a few teachers and they were unaware of it. Okay. Okay. Well, obviously, obviously, they're in schools. So that's. Correct. But I yeah, don't know yeah, if, the, yeah. if the unions, and it's a very difficult one. I don't know if the unions consulted their members or whatever. Or would you would you say it? Would you ask the Department of Education to to call it rather than? It would be fantastic if they would. I. I and I should think, it should it be yeah. a national minute? Would that help the, the younger children? Not be, not be, and this is your point, not be traumatised by this. Yeah, um, I just think childhood is precious. Yeah. And um, how did the lady die, Mammy? How do I answer that? And, you know, if I can, um, if I can avoid um, telling her about these horrific acts, even just for another week, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, some beautiful children um, have terrible stories and terrible experiences. And, you know, I just think if we can... The, the days of childhood are limited and precious and I would rather, I've, I've made a decision not to tell her this story. If she finds out about it, I will I will help her. Yeah. But I just, in a school setting, I'm very concerned. But then people say, what about her watching the news or Facebook or whatever, yeah. Insta, whatever. Would she not yeah. see Syria and would Afghanistan and young yeah, children, she, babies being handed over? across fences at airports to be rescued and in great difficulty? Not as not as much as maybe I would have done as a child because I suppose we see our news in a different way and we maybe watch mm. it in a different way. But I suppose there's always an answer and a reason and I can say, you know, it's far away, um, you know, that it's not right, but there's people going in yeah. to help. Um, she's a bright little kid and, you know, our, she knows Ireland is small. Um, and she'll be very. She'll want to know what's happening mm. with the person who did this. And you know, I can't answer that just now. And have you spoken to other parents? Uh, yeah. I very briefly put a post up on my own Facebook page just to say that I I, I object to this. And yeah. uh, a lot of my friends are saying they're very concerned. And uh, you know, another who there's a couple who are t- who are teachers, and uh, they're just saying that they would be concerned about how to explain it uh, to the children if they had questions. And what they what would be appropriate? Mm. 
Well, it w- would it be a help if, like, eight years of age, I'm not presuming she's in a Catholic school, but that's that's um, mm. very close to communion age, isn't it? That's how young they are. Yeah, she's made her communion. Okay. She's actually in an educated together, but she has okay. made her communion. We've done that outside of school. And I think mm. it would be very close to the the age group of uh, Ashling's class as well. She had, I know, she had, she had first him. class. I know first class is more seven than eight. Um, but what about what about Leanne saying like from fifth class on, or is this is it becoming I, too? I, I think the dialogue in the playground, even though they're in pods and siblings, and yeah. um, I, I just I'd, I'd leave it out of primary school, but also when I say that. Um, I'm not sure it's a place for secondary school. I just, um, I, I think it's something that might be dealt with at, 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 at better at home. Um, okay. Children are, are experiencing an awful lot of losses and difficulties um, at the current time. And I think parents are fantastic in this country. Um, and if it's triggering something for children, that they'll hold them through it. But I, I, I would worry for the responsibility it would place okay. on teachers and how appropriate they may be able to deal with it. In, in, it's only a few short days, you know, it's um, yeah. very hard for them to have to hold that as well. And it's our number, by the way, is 0818-715-815. Claire, you're listening to Leanne Porcel. Go ahead, Claire. Yeah, I suppose I would be a parent of like four young children and my oldest would be seven. And I would have explained to my child when I was going to Ashton Murphy's memorial the other night that mummy is going to a memorial because there is bad people in the world. And that not all of it is goodness. And I think it is important for them to know that there is bad people in the world, to be honest. And what what was the response of your children insofar as you? Yeah, like my child would be in first class. like So like we'll say that would have been the class that Ashley Murphy's pupils would have been in. And like it is like my child would be a boy. And I would have explained that there is bad people in the world. And this girl girl has gone to heaven. And mummy's going to because her family are very, very sad. Yeah, so I think it's absolutely, I don't mm-hmm. agree with one thing this listener has said, and I think it's actually very disrespectful to the family, what she's saying, to be honest. But we, I, I, and Claire, I'm, having listened to Leanne, there's not an ounce of disrespect in that in Leanne's tone or delivery in fairness. And that would be the furthest thing from our mind and indeed Leanne's mind from, from mm-hmm. listening to her there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Claire's point, you know, there are bad people in the world... Leanne, now I know mm. comparatively, but again, uh, Ashling is it can't just become another statistic. Um, mm. Mm. I, I hear, I hear what the other lady is Claire, saying, yeah, Claire. And Claire, what Claire is saying, um, and I appreciate that she has decided within her home to discuss it with her child that she feels appropriate. Um, and I just, I would like to be allowed that opportunity in my home and to deal with it as best I can in my home. Um, I think it's very traumatic for children to hear what's going on. And particularly they don't when need we to hear the gory details. I wouldn't have gone into the gory details. No, I just that there's been bad people in the world. They don't need to know all the details. I wouldn't. I I, yeah, you know. my, my, my 12-year-old immediately asked, where is the bad person that did this? Mm. And you wanted know to I mean. know that okay. he was safe from him. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Well, I'm sure there is 12 year olds talking about it in the school and 12 year olds that have access to the internet and everything the past few days. You know, my oldest is seven, so I can't answer that. You know what I mean? But Leanne is talking about her eight year old. She's talking about her 12 year old as well. 
who she was going to keep out of school, no? No, my eight-year-old, just my eight-year-old. Your eight-year-old, yeah. My 12-year-old knows. I, I do think that there should be a minute silence for that girl yesterday. This, this, has, this has been grief-stricken to the whole country mm. the past few days. Yeah. There should be a minute silence for that girl. Yes, tomorrow. But, but Claire, at the very th- least. But Claire, do you think there should be a nationwide, not just in schools? Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. We've gone to the memorials the past few days. There's been course, silences. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've all been out in our thousands at yeah. every single our memorials all over the country, yeah. all every single town in the whole country yeah. has had it. And and beyond. We've all had min, we've all had minute silences. I, I definitely think so, yes. And beyond and beyond, I take that. And beyond and beyond and look at London, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's touched oh, the New world York, to be honest. Brisbane, this has. yeah, Melbourne. You know what I mean? Una Una, yeah. Una Heaton, your point please, Una, you listen to Leanne. Well my Just point how do you how do you explain this? Uh, atrocity to, to a little child. Yeah. Well, I have a grandchild eight years of age and he was in the car when his dad were talking about it, I mean, on the phone, and he was saying, OK, he knows about it and we won't go into detail. Of course we won't, you know. But I just feel that you cannot protect her. Whatever happened to that poor girl, Ashley, my heart is broken listening to the horrific times she's, um, the family are going through and her friends. I mean, it's mm. shocking. But I feel that um, you cannot protect kids totally from evil but you have to tell them that there are evil people and there are very very good people there are more good people hope in the world than there are evil people but you bidding I mean in the silence in school kids will hold each other's hands and be in company together and I think it's very important that that child goes through that feeling as well because children are resilient mm. and I feel that um, to show that they they have emotions and they will care and I, I just feel that mother is, is wrong because it's highlighting more so that the kid wasn't at school. And why? Okay, well, yeah. The kid would ask to say, you know, why not at school be the same as the other kids? I, I think it's sad. You know, I just feel, you know, mm. poor, poor family. And I just think it's a simple way of just saying we're just being showing respect for that poor girl. And that's all it is, you know. That's all it is. It's just standing in silence. The whole country will do it. I mean, horrific, horrific. And it adds sort of a bit more pain to the whole thing, I feel. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion, of course. But it just, you have to tell kids there's evil there. My little grandson is so questionable and he says, Mummy or Granny, you know, it's very bad, you know. But I mean, you say a little prayer for her. They're all doing it, you know. And I, I think that's the only way to cope. And you cannot protect cocoon kids to this day. Because they'll see it on the radio and television and everything, you know. So mm-hmm. I just feel horrific. My my heart goes out to that family and all. Oh, God, it's, it's words fail me here. I just find it so sad. So sad. The last time I remember such a such a public outpouring in unison was that that awful week, Una. And I think if, if you're the Una Heaton... And a um, it was in, in June 1996 when Jerry McCabe, the detective, was murdered oh, by the God. IRA. And then two weeks later, uh, Veronica Geer was murdered by uh, gangland criminals. And there was um, there was an outpouring and there was a minute silence and there was vigils at the Dáil. Now, a lot came out of that, the Criminal Assets Bureau and a clampdown on the IRA and all that. But... but um, it it is it is as deep as that now in the country. The feeling, the the wound, the the hurt, the yeah, but solidarity. I hope, I hope Joe that the um the justice system will not allow these people out on bail and stuff 
be more forceful with it. I know, I know this guy is whatever. No, 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 but don't, don't, don't mention anyone. Don't mention anyone. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's just the general. Okay. I mean, look at that. Do you think there should be? You, you think there should be? An, uh, do you think there should be a nationwide um, men in silence tomorrow? Una Heaton, Absolutely. For example. I mean, yeah. what 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 does it do? It shows respect, number one, and it shows we all care for what happened to that girl, Ashley Murphy. I mean, it's and there's also there's also a determination to see that one yep, that people don't her. people don't hijack uh, Ashling's tragedy for their own party political Ash- ends, and two that the body politic uh, arrives at some of the promises that were made to people like Sarah Grace and people like Ruth Maxwell, the things that she she's been campaigning for for what now six years. Uh, to change when it comes to the way Actually, victims are treated. It reminds me yeah. now of when my daughter was very young, uh, going to her first disco, and I waited outside for her. She was only 15 or 16. Mm. And this girl came out and she stood against the wall from the nightclub and she was extremely drunk. You could see this, right? Yeah. And this guy came out and he saw her, but he mm. didn't help her. He proceeded to do things to her. Uh. So I got out. I said, well, I won't. I will. I won't. Mm. I, I had to go. I went well over done. to him. Well done. I tipped him on the shoulder. I said, how dare you? How well dare you? Done. He ran with his pants down. Of course, Confucius says man, can run, man can't run with pants down. But that's a petty thing to say. But he actually took advantage of her. Oh now, she may have been pregnant. You don't know after that. I took mm. her home. I went to the garden station with her in my, in my car. And I forgot about my poor daughter. <laughs> but I came back. She was okay. okay. I collect her. Okay. Later. Okay. But it's just that that's the... That was horrible. That was animalistic. That wasn't just human nature. That was animalistic, I tell you, you know. Yeah. That okay, guy. S- s- say, I can still see his face. Stay with, stay with us. 51551 is our text number. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Uh, we've been contacted by Amy. Not, not her real name. Her full details are upstairs. Amy, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. You you were assaulted in Tullamore. Now, it was a good, a good time ago. What, what, what uh, happened? 27 years ago, I was 10 okay. years of age. Yeah. Um, I was going down, we, myself and my mother went to Mass every summer, every morning, early. Okay. 10 o'clock Mass. And this particular morning, we were late. And we always met my mother's friends after Mass or tea, like. So my mother that morning went on to get her hair done. And I went on to meet my friends, or to meet my mother's friends. Okay. And as I went into the church ground, it was only around the corner, so it wasn't far like it. And as I went into the church ground, I'd seen a man cycling around on a bike. And I, I said to myself, God, he, he looks weird. Like I'd feared, from, mm-hmm. I hadn't felt it, like, you know. And then he asked me, uh, do you know, is there any other time that Mass is on it? I said, God, I don't know. I was just delighted to get, try and get away from him. Yeah. So I just ran in the back of the church and Mass was still on at this time. So when I had got into the back of the church, I just went into the toilet, which is behind the altar, beside the surfaces. Um, I went in there and I just locked the door and I just, as I went in, I could hear his bike dropping behind me. But I went in and I went into the back room and I just locked the door and I was just so happy, relieved. I felt relieved just because I got away from him, yeah. you know. And I stood there for a minute or two and then I went to open the back room door. And next thing, there he was standing there. Yeah. And he had his hands up in the air, like to cover me, so I couldn't get out. And his legs further apart, like. And as I went to try and get out, he just pushed me back, 
So I got, I managed to shout, help, help, half a second time, like. Well done. And he put his hand over my mouth then, just covered it, and told me to shut up or he killed me. And he was rooting in his pocket, I don't know what for or anything. But it was just, it just happened, the priest was, mass was just over, and the priest had seen him standing outside the toilet. Okay. But he had heard me shouting, and he wasn't sure if it was kids outside playing, because it was built up around with houses, so he thought it might be kids, but he said he just chanced and see, because this fellow was known to him. So he banged on the door, and thank God he did, because with that day, I got out of the toilet, you know, he opened the yeah. door, and the two of us were there, like, and he, he got me out, you know, and brought and what, me to uh, my this, mother and stuff. Was this man caught? He was caught, yeah, yeah and okay. he got six months. Okay. He got six months and stuff was done anyways. But obviously even from your voice, you still, I know it's a couple of decades later, but the trauma. Yeah, I had got all buried, but it's just, it's been from Tullamore and yeah. just with everything in the past week and hearing people, other people's stories on your show every day, like, uh, just mm. bringing it all back up again, like, you know, and just okay. make, you know, to be aware, like, you know what, even at 10 years of age, you know. The effect I was looking at had that sense about him already, like yeah, and the effect that it has. Okay, Amy, thanks thanks indeed. Um, Thank you, Joe. Um uh, Anya has contacted us, Anya. Good afternoon, Anya. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, now I haven't heard the rest of the programme, okay. but um one of your researchers was just saying about the minute silence yeah. um for Ashling. Um just personally I I don't think it should be done in the classrooms. I think kids, especially primary school children, are too young. And, you know, a minute silenced amongst the teachers, but it should be parents in their own time, um, you know, explaining mm-hmm. that um, at an age-appropriate, uh, in an age-appropriate way. But really what I wanted to um, contact you about is that I had, I have a 14 and a 16-year-old uh, boys and... Okay. Um, I just, once all this happened, I felt it was a conversation I needed them to sit down and listen okay. to, um, just about sowing the seeds at this young age about, um, you know, what might seem like a bit of crack amongst the friends and amongst the peers. Um, really, how does that make the girls feel? And my 16-year-old, you know, hopefully going off to university in a few years, so... You know, it's nearly about training them and so on the mm-hmm. seeds at this age that um, it's not, you know, it makes girls um, feel uncomfortable. They can't, you know, h- how does that make them feel? How would your sister feel? Uh, you know, my 14-year-old, everything's always great crack with him and a great laugh, but actually, no, this type of carrying on isn't. Mm-hmm. And really, they weren't they weren't very aware of how girls feel. You know, now, I, I don't know if, if they've, you know, being involved in this kind of thing with their friends and yeah. what they might see as a bit of crack. But it it's just a conversation, just at the age they're at, I just want to sow the seeds and make it, ingrain it into them that you don't do this. You just don't do mm-hmm. it. And nearly like heightening their level of respect for girls from this age. So that was basically it. And are you, Anya, so tomorrow, would would it help if I don't again I don't know whether the country has this level of communication, especially with so many different forums and platforms and media outlets now. But to say to parents, would you think about saying something to your children before they go into school tomorrow? Um, 
you know, I think it's going to create more questions than, uh, you know, maybe mm. around 11 o'clock have a happy time or something like that, but not a minute. Very, very young children wouldn't understand what a minute silence means and uh, maybe, you know, mark it in a different way that's age appropriate. But I think for very young children, it's going to create an awful lot of questions. It's Especially if it's explained this is, you know, for a teacher who diapers, you know, young children, it's it's a lot for them at that young age. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, I think the teachers could definitely have their, their minute silence, but uh, for children, oh, I don't know. And ex- explaining it before they go in, I think it's just going to have too many questions. Okay, thanks indeed, Anya, and thanks indeed, uh, Leanne Porcel. Joe at rt.ie. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And Joe at rt.ie. Denise Dunphy, Denise, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Um, you, you did uh, intervene. Tell us what happened, Denise. It, it was it was a valuable lesson that I actually learned in how to, how to react um, to, to something happening. Um, it's, it's a few years back and I was walking along um, the North Quay just close to the CHQ building. In Dublin, It's a bright yeah, evening yeah. in Dublin on the way home from work. Um, and, uh, and I suddenly heard this woman shouting and she was shouting, F off, F off. And, and, and everybody was busy on the street and she was on a sort of narrow part of the path across the road from, from me um, on, the, on the, the Liffey side. Mm. So everybody stopped and looked. But and so there was a guy and he had a bike and we saw that there was some sort of altercation going on. But I think initially people thought this is a couple fighting and maybe you know there uh, you know there's drugs or something involved. But it was then she shouted help and as soon as she said help, okay. everybody reacted. All of the men who were just and this probably all happened in about thirty seconds. It seemed like much longer. Um, but as soon as she said the word help, people went. And it really stuck with me because I thought we, te- you know, I think people tend to focus their shouting and their at, at the person who's attacking them, but help actually attracts all the passers-by. So people just immediately responded. Got the guy, got her bag from him. He was trying to steal her bag. Okay. Um, uh, they got the guy off her, looked after her. Now the guy, I, I think, got away. But I just thought it was really interesting because help is not the first word that comes to our mind when when we're in trouble. Um, and but it was the one that people responded to, um, and I just thought that that was really important, uh, important uh, for, for people to think of. It seems like a very straightforward, simple mm-hmm. thing, but it's you know we don't actually use the word help, but but people know you are definitely you're in trouble, and and everybody immediately responded, which was fantastic. Um, but there was a, an, another thing, and and I was talking to my husband uh, about this. Obviously, everyone's talking to everyone about this awful, awful event with, with poor Ashley Murphy. Um, but, um, and we were talking about, you know, that really it's about educating, you know, everybody, but young men in how to, how to mm-hmm. behave. But my, um, I have a friend who lived in London, my closest friend for a very long time, and she was walking home again one bright sort of evening, and this man grabbed her, dragged her down a laneway and started beating her head off the wall. Uh, and okay. two two young men uh, came and and one of them stayed with her. With the other one, dragged the fellow off her. Uh, and uh, so the man ran away. And this and so one of the they turned out they were brothers. One of them ran after him and actually caught the man, 
um, and uh, and got the police for him. So um, so obviously she was very traumatised, um, and uh, the two young men obviously saved her life. So uh, the police um, afterwards, when they had the man in custody, asked, did she want to speak to him? And she said, I don't think I do really, you know. Yeah. But anyway, she did go um, and speak to the man. And apparently he had, um, he had been, it was a, this happened to her on a Sunday evening, and it was a Friday, Friday evening he'd been let out of, um, uh, of a facility um, where he had been treated uh, for um, mental health issues. Um, but he couldn't get his medication until the Monday. So he was off his meds and he was completely out of control when he attacked her. So what she wanted to know was why he'd chosen her. And he said, I didn't choose you. It was nothing to do with the way you looked, what you were doing, anything about you. He said, you just happened to be the closest person to me when I lost it. You know, he said, I just flipped. Um, and that's why he attacked her, which for her was reassuring because you, you blame yourself. You think, oh, what am I doing? You shouldn't pay attention, and et cetera. But in terms of the two young boys, uh, which mm. brings me back to the whole point of how young young lads are, are taught to behave. Yeah. Um, she talked to um, uh, to the mother of the two boys because obviously they saved her life and she wanted to meet them. And the mo- and, and and their mother said they only did what they were brought up to do. You know mm. that they were raised if someone needs help to help. Yeah. And I thought that is you know we take it sort of for granted, but. Nowadays, people aren't so inclined to jump in and help because they're a bit afraid, you know, that they might be stabbed or something. But it was the instinct of those two young lads to go and help. And and they did. Um, So that whole thing of, you know, we need to... We need to educate our, our our young people, young men. Young men are also in danger out on the street. Um, I've lectured for years, and yeah. often it was yeah. often it was the young men who you know who who, who had been attacked you know over the weekend. So it, but it, invariably, it invariably, it's, invariably, it's young men, and we've covered it so often on this program, unprovoked yeah. attacked by other young men. Other young men, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, so I just just thought that that was, you know, I thought that that was really important. What that mother said, she wasn't surprised that that's what her boys had done because you know that's what they were raised to do. Um, but another thing that that um, I did martial arts, you know, for a good number of years mm-hmm. um, years ago with them, um, I did Wing Chun with uh, Aidan Canavan, and I always remember the first thing that he said to to us was, uh, he said, you know, if if someone is coming towards you and you think that that you're going to be attacked, you just run like hell the other way, get away if you can. But if you can't. You have to be prepared to really hurt your attacker. Um, now, in a case like Ashley, in a ferocious case, a case of such ferocity like Ashley Murphy, that wasn't the case. Um, uh, but, but I think that most women, uh, and actually I was talking to a friend of mine earlier, and he said most men have never actually taken a punch. And mm-hmm. I realised no one had ever, I was very privileged in my life, I was no one had ever hit me. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to actually. So, so if someone does hit you, you're completely stunned and shocked, yeah, and thinking, yeah. "How do I react now?" Yeah. And uh, so, when we were training with the men, the men didn't really want to be hurting me. And I said, "Look, if I'm on the street and some guy's going to attack me, he's not going to be thinking, oh, I better not hurt her.' He's he's actually said no to hurt me. So I need to be able to deal. You need to behave towards me the way you would a man. So the training was so that I had to react." and try and deal with the, the force of, of a man actually attacking me um, and learn how to, how, to, how to be hurt and, uh, and, and how, to, how to hurt someone else. And it was up to them to, to protect themselves, up to me to protect myself. But it was a very physical thing 
And I think it was really important. Most of us haven't. And you're so stunned when something happens to you that you just don't know how to respond. And also, it's not in our nature, um, I think, in anyone's na- most people's nature, but particularly women, to, to actually hurt someone, you know, to sort of try and gouge their eyes out or whatever. Um, and or hurt them, you know, yeah. really hurt them. But, you know, in that situation, it's, it's, it's what you have to do. Um, okay, but I think the, that... Well, Denise, first sorry. of all, thank you for intervening. And two, those two young men, as you say, that's that's what they were brought up to do, to brought try and to help do. people in distress. Yes. That is, yeah. that's itself is a lesson. Denise, don't feel... Thanks, thanks, thanks indeed, Denise. Joe Hi. at rte.ie. Joe! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RT.ie. Sarah, good afternoon. Back to the um, to the union's uh, call for a minute's Hi, silence Joe. tomorrow in schools. And uh, you've heard a lot of people in our programme, one saying be very, you have to be very sensitive in schools, especially with the younger children. And two, why not a nationwide uh, minute's silence called by the government rather than, than trade unions? Um Sarah, you, 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 have you got children in primary school? Yeah, I have children in primary school. So, and so what I do you think, think of the union's call for a minute's silence tomorrow at 11? For I, her? I think primary schools is too young. I think maybe from secondary up, but I think children will really relate to this because it's a primary school teacher that has been killed yeah, course, and yeah. it's very relatable. I know when I was younger um, the Soham murders in England would have happened. I would have been a similar age to those girls mm-hmm. and it really put a fear into me then when I was going to and from school. So I think yeah. some children might not give this too much thought but there are ones that will really be affected by this and even if it's, you know, Minimum information, I don't think they need to know it. And you mentioned the Soham murders, which I think is about 20 years ago now. Um, and there yeah. Were, there were two, their names are embedded, aren't they? Jessica and Holly. Yeah. Um, and they were killed by the school caretaker, wasn't it? Yeah, the janitor, yeah. And, and how, what, what age were you when you heard that story, Sarah? Um, I probably would have been 11 or 12 at the time. And what impact did it have on you? Uh, fear walking to and from school and my school wasn't too far away so I would have walked with a couple of my friends and yeah at that time I didn't because I was too frightened and that was in a different country so I think Mm. if primary school children are aware I mean I know that maybe the older children in the school fifth or sixth class they can understand it a bit more but smaller children I think it had frightened them to think that this has gone on in a country that they live in and, yeah, and what to ab- somebody like what, their primary school teacher. What about the point, Sarah, for, what about the point Sarah made earlier by parents especially? Well, this is the world we live in. Is it not important for you to know about, I know you were only 12 yeah. at the time, about what happened Holly and Jessica, as I say, in, 20, in 2002. Was, did, yeah, I do. I do agree that, you know, children need to realise that there's not only good, and I would tell my own children that, you know, if they leave me in a supermarket or, you know, if I turn around and they're not there, and I would tell them that, you know, people can take children, you're not to run off or you're not to Mm -hmm. do this, but I think it's, this is a different, I mean, this has shocked the whole country, so 
adults are finding this hard to get their head around, never mind five, yeah. six, seven-year-old children. And how many children have you got in primary school? Three. I have three okay. boys in school. So obviously, there's, so you've, 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 I presume you have a six and a seven. And you've, I have five, six and, so. yeah, five, six and a ten-year-old. And how would, how would a, a teacher in the, what's a senior or first class yeah. explain to them what, what the minute silence is about? I'm, I don't know. I've not heard any communication from the school, but it'd be a difficult conversation for parents to have with children of that age. So I can only imagine how a teacher would answer the questions. Okay, say with us, Sarah. Derek, good afternoon, Derek. Hi, Joe, how are you? You, you remember a previous minute silence. I referred to it. It was 1996. Uh, there was, it was a horrific, horrific uh, time in Ireland. Uh, Garda Jerry McCabe was murdered and Veronica by the IRA and then Veronica Geerham was murdered by uh, Dublin Gangland a couple of weeks later and then the OMA bombing and a different time. Um, but, but it was a minute silence and you remember. What age were you then, Derek? I suppose I would have been about 10 when Veronica Geerham and Jerry McCabe were killed and maybe yeah. 11 or 12 when OMA happened. Two years um, later, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, no, I do remember we had a minute silence in school for those and we discussed them and how they're, like the the lady before was saying, you know, sometimes maybe parents should deal with how there are bad people in the world, but mm-hmm. in, in our, in our and class did it, at the did, time, well, I remember it. What stuck with you, Derek, given that you were so young? Um, I think it was just how horrible it was and that it could be somebody like us, you know, particularly with Oma or... Like, because I, I'm from Limerick, it, Jerry McCabe, it could have been someone's dad that you knew um, mm-hmm. who shot. So, um, and you, uh, it's think, a long time ago in terms of your, your memory, but uh, yeah. obviously it's still there, and I appreciate that. But um, do you remember how the teacher introduced it, the minute it silence? It would have been from the news, because it was being ah, okay. very heavily covered in news, and we would have talked about it in the class and particularly Oma, I think not so much about the the Veronica Gearin mm. case and Jerry McKay, but particularly you know, Oma I would have been I think six class at that point. And, and Jerry the things to remember about Veronica yeah. and Jerry school it was it was in the middle of the summer. Um and Jerry yeah. McKay, and but and Oma then was at the end of the summer two years ago. It would later, have been the August. end of the school year, yeah. 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 Okay, okay. And so, Derek, you would agree with the minute silence tomorrow being called by the unions and schools? Maybe not for the smaller kids, but definitely okay. like the, the fourth, fifth and sixth class. And I think, nine, from, 10, 11, I think yeah. from what I'm seeing here, I think people in workplaces and uh, in uh, hospitals and in different institutions uh, will, will observe uh, silence tomorrow at 11 and thoughtful appreciation of... Uh, one the women in our lives, but also a thoughtful appreciation for the the great life uh, of Ashling, uh, who's only twenty three years of age. Thanks indeed, Derek. Thanks to all our callers. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Fergus Weiner produced the series. Producer is uh, Lisa Lisa Marie and Berry, and we are back tomorrow at one forty five. And Ray Darcy is next. Live line on RTE Radio One with Kia. Discover our two to one offers at your local Kia dealer. For more, log on to kia.com.